Texas talking oh. What was that that you said? Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys Hello, TripCast. This is Erica Greeter. I'm a senior editor at Texas Monthly, and I gotta say, we have a lot of competition so far for this year's worst list. Uh, in the meantime, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you, Erica. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the TribCast for the third week of May. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Reporter Aman Bathija. Hi there. And Jim Henson, the director of the Texas Politics Project and the Trib's pollster. Hi, all. Whoa, that didn't sound very excited. It's been a while. I expected a more enthusiastic greeting from you. Well, I'm trying to start understated. I'll get excited later. <laughs> All right. Well, let's He's get saving up. <laughs> yeah. Let's get excited oh, about boy. the like fact <laughs> that lawmakers appear to be close to reaching some kind of monster deal, uh, in theory, to get all of us out of here by Sunny Die. Ross, uh, give us the latest on where we are and the different sort of elements of this arrangement. You know, when you're watching a TV show and you and you don't know if it's going to resolve and you look up at the clock and there's only six minutes left in the hour, you know, well, they're going to tie up the loose ends here in this drama. This is like working without a clock a little bit. They have two weeks to go. They've got um, to finish. And they could finish. Actually, they could have finished last week, but they didn't. And they're dragging out this. What, we could have gone home a week early? Well, no. I mean, they could have finished <laughs> this mega settlement and gone on to whatever nonsense they wanted to go on to. But instead, they're keeping the settlement open. It's five bills with sort of six big elements uh, going on. I'm going to pull a Rick Perry here and for, go to the Department of Energy at some point. Luckily, you have a mon here to help right. you out. <laughs> it's the, the big sticking point is a tax bill. The House and the Senate had different ideas about what to do with tax cuts. Uh, they agreed to go with the House's version on business tax cuts, on the franchise tax, uh, and generally to go with the Senate's version on um, expanded exemptions for homeowners on property taxes. And now the fight is over whether they're going to do that immediately or a year from now. Uh, the difference is about $650 million. The Senate wants to go immediately. The House would rather wait a year. And as we tape this, they're waiting for uh, some resolution to the state budget so that they can figure out which number plugs in most easily. Um, tape this. That's cute. Um, the <laughs> tape, whatever, record. <laughs> what are you using? We're going to listen to this on an eight track later. <laughs> you know, which Emily wants to be a whippersnapper. That's, that's cute. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, <Attempts>. fine. <laughs> fine. The second bill is the. Uh, open carry of handguns. Uh, they're going to take out the police notice piece that the House stuck in and go with the House version of this bill. At least that's the plan at the moment. Um, I think part of the plan, it's hard to tell until they get out of there. I think part of the plan is they're going to do the open carry bill without a campus carry amendment and let campus carry fend for its own um, in, a, in a separate piece of legislation. Which is what the House prefers? Uh, yeah, they're going with the House bill on, mm -hmm. on open carry um, at the moment. And, you know, part of the deal is once you agree to these bills, you keep the other stuff off. So we're going to take a tax cut bill to the floor when we finally agree to it, and nobody's going to introduce new pieces because that would mess up the deal. I'm sure people will try to introduce right. new pieces. Right. Uh, next is a piece of tax cut legislation that came out of the Senate. I think it's Senate Bill 1762, a Brandon Creighton bill mm -hmm. that is notable really for a provision that Paul Betancourt got added that requires 60% of a local government's approval before you raise property tax rates. Um, it's It sounds like a big deal. It's less of a big deal than it sounds like. A county commissioner's court has five people on it. 60% is also called a majority. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> right. They, so they've got to have it. Um, most of the school districts in the state 
have tax rates of over a dollar four, and once you're over a dollar four, you have to have 60% to raise your taxes. So most of them aren't affected. It'll affect city councils most of all. Um, so, and now we've gotten to the P- Department of Energy. What's the fifth one? Border uh, security. Border security, Border security and right. what to do with the public integrity unit. The public integrity unit, they're going with the uh, Senate version of this, which would take public corruption cases away from the public integrity unit at the Travis County District Attorney's Office, hand them to the Texas Rangers for investigation, and then refer active cases out of there to local DAs around the state. Um, the other one, I'm trying to remember what they where they ended up on that. Border security? I believe they're going with the, the House, House version. version. It's it's somewhere, yeah, and, and financially it's between the House and the Senate version. The House originally proposed around $300 million for this. The Senate originally proposed around $800 million. As I understand it, they're landing around $600 million. And I believe it's uh, DPS won't stay, their stay won't be extended at the border. Right. That was that was also a contentious issue. And, and the National Guard comes out pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. Well done, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, so, so, so if they can, so all they're down to is this. Apparently, you know what they're telling us is all they're down to is this difference over timing on the tax cuts, on when you hold the election for the homestead exemptions. If the Senate wins, it's it's September, and if voters approve it, it would take effect next year. If the House wins it, it's November and wouldn't take effect till 2017. Can I go to the back mic and ask a question of the please, author? Please, please do. <laughs> How come you didn't amend my proposal to that? No. Um. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite, Thanks, my favorite inquiry like that was from Jonathan Stickland this year. It, it, it went, Mr. Speaker, parliamentary inquiry, state your inquiry. Do you mean to tell me? I feel like I just popped yeah. the ball, volleyball up and everybody went in for the spike. <laughs> exactly. um, no, I, but I did have a serious question. So, but on the tax bill, is it is it correct to say that? Well, one is I don't know if it's correct or not. What's the status of? Has the House been succeeded in doing away with exempting the property tax cut from the cap? Yes. In terms of, which is my understanding. Right. Yes. And yes. so doesn't that not mean that necessarily the property tax or the reduction, put it this way, the reduction in the homestead exemption will be less than what the Senate ideally wants? The Senate's version initially was a cut that would have um, meant about $206 a year to the average homeowner. The cut, as they're talking now, is about $125 a year. So, well, yeah, so and the Senate version was going to grow over time. Right. Was, the Senate thing was in. It was going to be 25% of the median right. homeowner value. And now it's just they're talking like a flat 10000 or something, yeah. right? And so, so part of the issue here is if you figure out where the budget is going to land, do you have enough money for the extra $650 million in the budget without hitting the spending cap? Well, and it's not just – well, the – the plan is to put the property tax cut b- before voters, so it'll actually be exempt from the spending cap. Right. Um, All right. Yeah, but I have a much less technical question sure. than Jim's, and that is, who won? I think the Senate won. Yeah. On absolutely. the tax thing, I think the Senate won. Um, well, so on the if, if you combine this whole thing as a package deal, I mean, it clearly looks like the Senate won on the tax side of this. But what about combined? If you look at all these issues combined, they still the Senate? They split them. They went through these issues. There were five bills. There are six separate issues in here. Three of them are House wins. Three of them are Senate wins. And the idea was keep everybody in the deal. The tax cuts were where the chambers were the most far apart, where they kind of fought more most publicly. It. it you know, symbolically, it's the Senate's win on that. Yeah, you know, I'm not. Maybe. Um, well, the House <laughs> wanted a sales tax cut, and sales taxes are not being cut. Discuss. Right, but 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 that is if you take the desire for the t- sales tax cut at face value. Now, look, I totally agree that symbolically, in terms of the public framing going into this, we all were saying it's House versus Senate, 
sales tax versus property tax. Well, and more to the point, they were all saying. Yeah, Yeah. sure. (laughs) Um, But it feels to me like the House gave in pretty quickly on that sales tax cut. Which and, to me makes so, me think they really wanted this other stuff more well, than they and, cared and, about the tax stuff. And so who, would I, I, who I would say won in this are the people that fundamentally wanted more than anything all along the business margins tax cut. You guys didn't mention that. The business margins tax cut was the point of consensus going on here. It was the only thing that Abbott has said he would veto the budget over. So the people that wanted a big, broadly distributed margins tax cut, which is what they're going to get. Right. They're not going to get the one that's indexed in the way that the House did. They're the ones who won, and that's really, I think, a win for the center-right and the establishment and the political community. Now, if we look at it in terms of what you're going to go and say, in election time, can candidates go out and say, we got you a property tax cut? It follows through on what Patrick advertised going forward. But if you step back, to me, I mean, it was a ve- it's a very kind of shallow populist win in a way that really masked the fact that this really worked kind of business as usual. They went in, they cut, they, they, they made a cut. Even though ta- right. you know Patrick and his allies are going to go out and say, hey, we got a property tax More cut. More than two-thirds of this cut is the business tax. It's mm-hmm. pretty, right. It's right. pretty ephemeral and pretty, and, and ultimately the, it's pretty ephemeral and likely to be short-lived, like the last one, in terms of its the actual- property tax del- cut. Yeah, the actual delivery to anybody. And- I don't think they're going to be able to claim quite as big a win as it may seem from the inside going forward. Now, they will, mm-hmm. but will it really work? I bet for advertising purposes, this is not a $125 a year tax cut. For advertising purposes, this is we increased your homestead exemption by $10,000. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, they got the business tax cut. They got the House's structure on it. The House didn't you want to. You could just stop with your right. <laughs> Thanks, Evan. Yeah. Well, Evan's not here. So. Right. Yeah, somebody's got to sub in, right? So um, I do, I, I mean, there's one issue I want to ask about that wasn't included in any of these negotiations, but was a really hot topic coming into the session, and that's in-state tuition for undocumented students. Where are we going to land on this? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, if they get to the floor, you know, this is one of those bills where I think the result quietly is different from the result publicly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get to the floor, I think, you know, you get a different vote than if you polled members privately and, you know, just walked around with a card and said, you know, what yeah. do you think? If it gets to the floor, I think a lot of Republicans are going to vote for it who might otherwise be against it. I'm not sure it's going to get to the floor. I mean, it looks like it keeps getting tangled up on the intent calendar in the Senate. You know, I haven't seen much motivation on the on the House side. To get it on the floor, since Democrats are united against it, you need all but one Republican to be for it. And they have an Estes, Estes and an Eltife and problem. Seliger have oh, also, Seliger, that's who it is. Yeah. Well, and Estes. All three of them have expressed reservations. So you'd have to flip two of them mm-hmm. to get it, to even get it on the floor. Right. So sounds like... So, and the other thing is, you know, since they're doing this master deal and you can't amend the bills, the obvious place to attach that and to attach sanctuary cities legislation would have been on the border, on the border security, security bill. bill. Right. But if you come out with a, you know, something with a bow on it and say, leave this alone, mm-hmm. all of a sudden that's not a vehicle. So let's talk a little bit about about Abbott's role in any or all of this. Uh, Abbott offered up his first ever veto this week that seemed to be on a pretty unlikely uh, piece of legislation. Uh, It was a really really (laughs) good catch, I thought. Yeah, somebody's reading that stuff. Well, but not enough people, obviously, because it made it to Abbott's desk. (laughs) Well, tell us about the, the piece of legislation that Abbott actually ended up vetoing. This was a resolution to... 
uh, a resolution, which is yes. different than a bill, too. Right. I mean, I haven't looked into it, but I think it's been quite a while since a governor's even vetoed a resolution because right. they're usually so innocuous. This was praising mental health workers, I believe, Mental Health Worker Month, and buried in the bottom in the second to last paragraph was. Uh, can you describe it? Because I'm actually going to get it wrong. Secret words, thou shalt. Yeah. <laughs> they it was making law. They basically ordered them to use a particular diagnostic manual. And, you know, it was a piece of legislation that... And for reporting, I think, right? Right, right. Yeah. That, uh, you know, they were commending these guys. And it's one of these whereas, 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 therefore deals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't usually see a resolution with the phrase billing codes in there. Right. right. And, and so they basically, <laughs> you know, at, at the last minute, it takes this sudden 90 degree turn and says, you know, thou shalt use this diagnostic manual for billing stuff. And it turned out to be a particular legislator's failed piece of legislation and he just tacked into the Wedged it into a resolution. Right. Right. And Abbott's, either Abbott's staff caught it reading closely or someone else caught it and went and whispered in their ear, but uh, governor shot it down. So uh, first of all, whose job is that to make sure that like, I mean, who is reading every resolution? Lawyers. They get lawyers Lawyers. all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, and second, is there any kind of, so this was his first veto. We've seen any others. We've not seen any others yet, right? Not yet. I mean, is there, do we have any kind of indication what kind of a vetoer in chief he's going to be? I mean, and and when will we know? Well, between, uh, I think the 21st is the Sunday, 21st of June is the day by which he has to either uh, sign veto or let bills pass into law without his signature. Instead of a pocket veto in Texas, if he doesn't sign it, it becomes law. I, you know, my guess, of, and this is, you know, this is just pure speculation, you never, we you never really know. Mm-hmm. I know. That's, part that's, of the, yeah, that's our trade. <laughs> that's <laughs> why I'm podcast. here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, you never really know. I'm always, and it's, I'm always curious how closely these guys follow historical precedent. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, Abbott keeps getting compared to Perry implicitly or explicitly, but it's always late Rick Perry rather than early Rick Perry. (laughs) I have a little bit of a suspicion that there's probably a bit of awareness over there that they'd probably rather not make the splash the way did Perry did in his first session where he vetoed a near record or maybe even record number of bills. And then everybody kind of went, well, what, what the hell were you guys doing? Right. And they right. found a couple of people to throw under the bus. My guess is there's enough institutional memory in the governor's on the governor's team that they will try to avoid that if they can. You know, there were two ways to read the Perry vetoes, though. One was, you know, what a mess. And, you know, everybody got mad and everything. The other was, you know, everybody walked around for the rest of Perry's term going, that guy has a gun yeah, and he send, will use right. it. Send a you know, signal. Yeah. So, you know, um, and after that, you know, for that and for other reasons, they were always careful to check with continue checking their uh, temperature with Perry throughout sessions after that. Yeah, you know, although, I, although I, I think, doing? as I recall, and again, you you were more involved at that point than I was, but my recollection of that was that the short-term reaction was not especially positive. No, a lot of legislators uh, didn't even know they were in trouble, and then they woke up dead, and, right. and they were pretty unhappy about it. Do we have any indication? I mean, how involved have Abbott's folks been in these sort of five-pronged negotiations? They've been right in the middle of it. Right. And 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 the five-pronged thing, you know, really started in earnest last week, and uh, probably you know eight to a dozen people from the lieutenant governor, the speaker, and the governor's staffs, along with you know sprinkled with a couple of senators, a couple of representatives. Um, Don't you guys find that interesting? I mean, to the extent that you know a month ago everybody. The meme, I think, kind of rippled through some of the coverage was like, where's the governor? What's right. he doing? What's he up to? He's Where is soft. he? How come he's so lame? And it seemed to me he played this pretty well. They got involved at 
at the sweet spot. The maybe it all moment. blew there, up. Yeah. There's, a, there's a long period in the middle of a legislative session, like between the state of the state speech and the time when you start seriously talking about vetoes, that probably it's best for a governor to just shut up and be quiet. Right. Mm-hmm. It seems like people forget that every time. They do. Yeah, I know. We are always having to go, like, where is well, he? What's he doing? You know, everybody in the legislature and everybody, you know, a lot of people in the lobby want the governor to go in and throw his weight around on their on their legislation. And when they can't get that to happen, the way to try to goad the governor's office is to say, oh, they're not doing anything. They're unengaged. They're, they're... They were all over the place all the time. They were there. They were quiet. They let the legislature bring them stuff. And, you know, when they when it gets to... The point when they're making decisions, like now, when a veto really begins to matter, the governor's power goes up and the governor's involvement becomes more mm-hmm. apparent. Well, I speaking speaking of the governor's involvement, uh, we had a story this week about uh, Abbott sort of sort of flexing his political muscle around the presidential race and basically, you know, laying down his sort of rules for what presidential candidates would need to embody to get his support. I think there were like five things on that list. What f- first of all. Are people listening? Are presidential candidates listening to what the Texas governor's sort of list of things are? Are they going to come visit with him on the border? He said he'd even take Hillary Clinton down to the border if she came through. God, I hope that happens. (laughs) 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 But, you know, seriously, though, do what? I wonder if he'll take Ted Cruz. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) I hadn't been there. (laughs) What are some of the sort of priorities on, on Abbott's list and who's listening? He's mentioned border security a lot. That mm-hmm. seems to be a thing he's kind of pushing in his role as, you know, a border governor. And I, I mean, I, I feel like he'll probably take more uh, candidates to the border. And you know, with the idea that Texas is going to be a kingmaker in the primary, he'll, you know, he'll be involved and he'll be out there. But I just really find it hard to believe he won't endorse Ted Cruz. It's a co- and it's a cost-free gesture. I mean, you know, to cost the governor nothing to get. You know, a little round, a little mini round of coverage offering to take people to show them what's really going on in terms of border security, as we've talked about here. And we talk about every poll we've done for, you know, the perpetuity of the UT Texas Tribune poll. Mm -hmm. Border security, you can't lose with border security with Republicans, particularly if all you're doing is talking about it and saying that you're going to help other Republicans pay attention to it. Why not? Well, this is the first time in a long, long time that there's a genuine prospect that the Republicans will get to Texas for their primary right, without having matter. settled their <laughs> yeah. nomination. Right. And yeah. you know, it's a it's an early it's early to think about it, but you know, a lot of these candidates are going to be actively campaigning in Texas, and they may be prone to blow off a governor's pronouncements now, but very eager to to appease that governor and be seen on the border with him. You know, as you run up to to March of next year. Yeah, I'm on raise the timing of the primary. I think that's critical here, and yeah. it's another way that it's it's really a cost free no lose. So nobody takes them up on it, or only a few people do. Then so what? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and if some people come down and the governor tools around at the border with them, well, all the better. But come January, if they look like they're gonna like Texas is in play and they need to win Texas to win the nomination, they're gonna be you know. Um, looking for the governor's favor and for everybody else's too. So yeah. do you think he'll endorse ahead of the primary? And if so, how early and who? Uh, if he does, I think he'll endorse whatever Texans left in the race by then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to, you know, calculation on that is, um, does it do Abbott any good to endorse? And right. maybe just that it, the best he can do is, or the most profitable thing for him politically is just to, or for Texas, yeah, to to be in front and show these guys around and, right. and take a neutral role, not and, not and, pick a side in the party. 
And I can't remember. I can't. I don't know which of you said who who said he'd probably he'd have to endorse Cruz. Me, come on. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think. Who are we hanging that on? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I, think, I, I think that's you know. I, I think he's paying attention to the polling, which I like. Um, <laughs> I.e., listening to Jim Henson. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, but I think it's kind of in between there, right? I mean, I think he has to show a kind of implicit preference for Cruz, unless something, unless the polling numbers dramatically change and if, attitudes in the Texas GOP dramatically change. Ted Cruz is going to have a significant favorite son advantage here. If, and if he's in, a candidate who's still standing in January. Right. And in right. terms of the internal politics of the state, I mean, among Republican primary voters, Ted Cruz is the gold standard. right Well, now. and I just think Abbott and Cruz's careers are so intertwined. Yeah. If you endorse someone else, it's almost like you're a repudiation, Not, yeah. Yeah, it's it's I feel like if if Cruz is in the race when he feels he wants to endorse, I just I it'd be very awkward if he didn't. Yeah, although Cruz. I think you can always overestimate those personal relationships. These guys have thrown each other over before. Well, Cruz called him a mentor. Well, and they both have basically made a name for themselves suing and fighting the federal mm -hmm. government together. So, so then what are we to they're expect? They're the most popular Republicans right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so what are By we far. to expect the relationship is like between Abbott and Perry? At this juncture, I mean, how closely do you think they're, you know, Perry, basically, we got news last week that, that Perry's going to announce his intentions, I think, on June 4th, which, uh, you know, I'm assuming means there's not a special session or not a special <laughs> session right then. I mean, do you think that Abbott and Perry are communicating about this? No, probably not. I much. doubt mm -hmm. it. I think, you know, back to the other thing for just a second, you know, Abbott's going to have to make a calculation as to whether it makes sense within his own party and with his own politics to choose sides inside a Republican primary. Clearly, he chooses sides of, of a Republican over a Democrat. But if they get to Texas and there's a sort of an even split between candidate A and candidate B, what profit does he have in picking one or the other and alienating half his half his primary? What audience? did Perry do in 08? Meaning, who did I he? I think by the time it got it was, here, yeah, it was, by, the, by the time it got it here, over. it was over. So he never endorsed? I think he endorsed McCain. I think he endorsed McCain. Um, but Huckabee did pretty well in that election, yeah. by yeah, the way. But, but at got, the last you know, minute. Yeah. yeah. But, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if you get if you get to Texas, I, I just think he's going to – it's really, really early to make that calculation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Perry is, is going to announce in Texas this time. Let's talk a little bit about, about his political ca calculus. What's the decision on sort of the timing of the announcement and also the location of the announcement, which is in Dallas, which I thought was sort of an unusual choice. If you were flying here from any other part of the country as a political reporter, the easiest airport to land in is Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, that's you know that's one thing. It's or easy. Houston. To set, it's easy to set up there. It's easy to you know it's easy to get in, get out. Um, it's you know you can sit but there. But he has in front no of personal that. connection there, does he? Well, can't do it in Austin. There'd be just right. not, just. There'd be bigger protests. Rick Perry returns to the <laughs> yeah. side of his indictment for his. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. that'd be great. Yeah. I guess it's kind of hard to get to Paint Creek. <laughs> right. Um, it's a it's a good backdrop. It's a big city in a state that you know, uh, you know. I think that works. And as far as the timing, I mean, what and and his sort of placement in the polls, you know, what's what is again the political move here? You know, I think the time the timing to me, I I don't think about it all that much. I mean, I think the only person that's really gotten the best bounce in terms of timing was Cruz by going first. You know, we've been tracking. We've got a thing in our, in our the blog that Josh Blank put together, just a little quick Google Analytics thing. But you can see every bounce is much significant, is significantly lower than the one before it. You know, so you get right. a big bounce for Cruz, and then over that, you know, it's like okay, another guy's in the race. Another brand of super. Another so brand. I think, another you know, brand. At this point, I've you know I I don't know. I mean, I but I think that 
you know, the, the Perry's position in this is very is very interesting. I know, and to the Texas announcement, I really do think, you know, it's a combination of, you know, Perry knows that he is running behind Ted Cruz and frankly a couple of other people in Texas. Right. And if you again looking at our looking at our polling, I think we might even have talked about this the last time I was here, but it has kind of new resonance now. You know, Perry's half life in the the imagination of the Texas voters turned out to be pretty damn short for a guy who was in office for 14 years. Yeah, poof. I mean, you know, by the time we polled on his approval ratings in February of this year, after he had just left office, essentially, he'd been you know effectively out a month. You know, his you know the indifference to him had really gone up dramatically, and his approval numbers were down. And I think, you know, the. Thinking about the logic of the early primary, mm. this this little jockeying among the Texas guys, ironically enough, he's actually got to shore up things in Texas. As far you as know, I'm we were talking about the relationship between him and Abbott. It's kind of weird because he's gonna Perry's gonna be pushing the economy and the Texas economy under him, and he's gonna be trying to make the case that the economy did well in Texas not because of the oil boom, but because of Rick Perry. Right, but now the oil boom is slowing down. The economy's not doing as well. It's kind of implicit. He's right. gonna be not saying it out loud, but implying that Abbott isn't doing as good a job with the economy. Uh, he's going to have that option, whether he'll actually take it. I think even just saying that I did yeah. a great job with the economy mm-hmm. and when I was here, Texas was doing great, is it's it's kind of not spoken, but it's implied. Yeah. Perry's got two other things that he's got to overcome relatively quickly. He's got to get rid of this indictment um, so that it's not everybody's second line when they're talking about Perry. And there's an early race here to get into the debates. There's 158 Republican candidates, or I think the actual number is like 15. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's gonna, yeah. they're going to they're going to draw a line and say we're only going to let X number of candidates on stage for these forums and these debates. And you have to get your poll performance up into the top six or seven or eight, however many podiums they're going to put up there, because they're not going to put 20 podiums on stage. I think they've said they're going to put 12. So if you do, so so Perry's not in there yet. He's digital dust right now. The thing about Perry is, to be honest, he's looking good out there. I mean, you know, the speeches that I've watched, the things that I've, you know, the the press that he's getting is actually seeming quite strong, like better even than last time. Is there any path forward for him, or is this just really, you know, not going to go anywhere? Well, if you look at last time, what happened in Iowa, Santorum, you know. Had that Trump. spike, yeah. And he had been got on, a little truck, and he had been on the trail forever. It was just like, kind of people Suddenly, realizing, yeah. yeah. And I, so I, I feel like Perry's kind of going for that right. strategy. Could he have this use the Santorum strategy? Yeah, you know, does he get a turn in in, in the in the cycling through of candidates? I, I think it's going to look a little bit differently this time than it did last time. Last time the cycling through was about auditioning alternatives to Mitt Romney. Right. I don't think we're quite in that same position where the opportunities for that kind of well, let's it's Rick Santorum week, it's Rick Perry week, it's mm-hmm. you know, even some of the, some of the more right. absurd ones. That was we my had favorite. Last but time. but <laughs> to the extent that the front runners keep you know stumbling, this whole Jeb Bush thing, you know, the last week and a half. Yeah. Um, if as long as people are looking around, Perry's a really really good campaigner, and he's you know if he can turn a couple of things, if he can get rid of that indictment and get people to a position either because of something he's done or because of something the front runners have done to give him another look. I, th- I think he's, you know, got a it's a long shot, but it's a chance. Well, yeah, it's it's it's, it's more than zero and and you know, it's not unlike last time, right? <laughs> yeah. You can more Jim's like zero. it's point there, zero, 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 <laughs> There's one. the name of the campaign <laughs> yeah. book. Right. You can you can you know, you you can conceive of a path and no doubt 
he and his team can conceive of right. that path as well. But I doubt they're deceiving themselves so much that they think that the probability is especially high. Is there any – is it just pure coincidence that Hillary Clinton is going to make her first uh, presidential swing through Texas, the, uh, coinciding perfectly with Rick Perry's presidential announcement? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good. That was a good discussion. That was yeah. A, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I mean, it may well be. So, all right, uh, let's have a quick discussion about uh, a very strange union bill that appears to be well. Some something. Ross thinks it's stuck in the house. Others, <laughs> others think it's just been there for a couple. Emily of weeks. has active phone company. That, that... <laughs> no, it's not stuck. Uh, so this is how uh, Senate Bill 1968. It would basically prohibit governments in Texas from doing a dues checkoff for people in uh, union and non-union employee associations. So basically, you couldn't say, deduct my dues from my paycheck and, and you know, pay it to the union or whatever. Um, the, you know, business groups like it, um, Republican groups like it, conservative groups like it, some business groups like it. NFIB yeah. is big on this mm-hmm. um, and a couple of others. There's um, some division among the business groups on right. this. Um, the unions predictably hate it. Um, similar legislation has gone through in three or four other states. Uh, the Texas Public Policy Foundation wrote a policy paper on this, published in February of this year, that was um, pretty explicit in saying, you know, this basically undermines unions, and that's that's a good thing for the economy. They basically went mm-hmm. right to yeah. the right to the point of it. So the um, unions and the – there's a lot of – in Texas, you know, it's not a strong union state. It's not a closed shop state. Uh, these are voluntary deductions. They're not coerced deductions like the ones – this was the claim in Wisconsin when they knocked it off there with Scott Walker. Um, it's kind of a national fight, and Texas is the latest bash, battleground for it. The bill has come down to the last couple of days of the session, and now there's, you know, sort of allegations and cross-allegations about who was sitting on it and why it got going so late – the Senate sent it over to the House on May 8th. A week later, uh, Speaker Joe Strauss referred it to the State Affairs Committee. And that was a very busy week, though. It was a very busy week. And, I mean, a lot of – you know, May is late. May is, you know, if your bill isn't moving until right, late, it's it's stuck. It's stuck somewhere. Right now it's stuck in the House. But i got to say it was stuck in the Senate for two months. Mm-hmm. A parallel bill in the House went to another committee and um, never arose from the vault. <laughs> So, so basically, we're you know we've got just a few days left here, and the Democrats got to the floor on Tuesday of this week and knocked down a motion on a rule that would have um, suspended the five-day layout rule for Senate bills coming to the House without House sponsors. One of them is Senate Bill 1968, and what that basically means is that they can still hear it, they can still pass it out, they can still send it to calendars, and they can still get it to the floor of the House, but they can't have any public testimony about it. Um, Put a little hitch in its get along. And, you know, like I said, there's just a few days left. They have to move this bill by Tuesday of next week or it's dead. Great. Well, if you'd like to provide public testimony on the Tribcast, you can email questions or comments to Tribcast at TexasTribune.org. Uh, you can also now sign up for Tribcast alerts at TexasTribune.org slash Tribcast. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Ross, Amon, Jim, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking.
I need to open a Jewish deli. <laughs>